This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. Investing in yourself is hands down the most important investment you can make. Wise words from my guest today, who calls himself a recovering VC, as in recovering venture capitalist, who is now a coach and angel investor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner, where conversations with my guests are all about transformations in life, and today is no exception. Steve Schlafman spent 10 years as an investor and partner and principal at Top Venture Funds, and for the past nearly four years as a coach. Steve, welcome to my podcast. Hi, Liz. Great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Recovering VC, what does that mean? And why did you feel you needed to leave the world of institutional venture capital? I started my career as an operator at places like Microsoft and the New England Patriots, and then ended up stumbling into venture capital almost by accident. What I found is that I really, really loved working with entrepreneurs, and that's where the majority of my passion lied. And I found that I was just getting a lot more energy supporting entrepreneurs as, as almost like an advisor and a coach, as opposed to running around New York City all day taking meetings and pitches. And so I ultimately just felt into the energy that I had towards the work I was doing and just said, hey, you know, even though it's, it's less lucrative, why don't I just chop off the investing piece and just focus solely on the support? Wow. You have said and written that leaving VC was one of the most difficult decisions of your life, a true leap of faith. What were some of your biggest fears about walking away from that life, besides cutting off your income, which you just talked about? (laughs) I wrote that post about two years ago. At the time, my identity, for the most part, was as an investor, even though a, a lot of people knew that I had started to work as a coach. But I I had my feet firmly planted as an institutional investor. Right. What's interesting is I went and raised a small little angel fund, but predominantly was running high output as a boutique leadership development company. I like to joke that I kept a toe in the investing world. And then most recently, actually last week, I was going to raise a second angel fund and more fully integrate coaching in investing and actually decided to pull back. Um, So this topic is, is really fresh in my mind. I ultimately had to make a call about who I wanted to be in the next phase of my life. The the big question that I was asking myself, can I make the, the kind of income to support a family? Will this satisfy my intellectual curiosity? Right. And can I be okay stepping away from an industry, like fully, fully stepping away from an industry that I've spent the better part of the last decade in? Mm. Those were some of the bigger questions. So it was around, you know, money and status, a lot lot of like the ego questions, frankly, Mm -hmm. money, power, status. And yeah, I ultimately decided that that, that's just not what I wanted, though it took took a while to get there. You know, I took the leap of faith two years ago, but then I really took the leap of faith last week. 
now I'm going to focus only on coaching and, and really step into my power as a supporter of entrepreneurs. What do you love about coaching and supporting entrepreneurs? Why is that so special and why does that connect so deeply for you? I'm a capitalist at heart and I, I believe that entrepreneurship is arguably the fastest path to having a big impact on the world. Mm-hmm. I love working with entrepreneurs especially ones that want to have a big impact because they want the world to be different in some way. And so I I, I think that's a big component about why I love working with entrepreneurs. The other is sort of the depth uh, and authenticity of the relationships. As an investor, there's a power dynamic in the middle of that relationship where an entrepreneur might not be fully revealing to the investor because they have different incentives and motivations. A founder can't be fully revealed to their investors all the time. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about being a coach is this ability to have very, very authentic and meaningful conversations and be able to go into specific areas that uh, investors normally wouldn't. And, and for me, that depth and degree of connection is, is really important. And then I think there's just this idea of companies are just complex human systems. It's those that are able to crack the, the people problems or, or be able to show up and recognize that companies are just a document in, in, in a filing cabinet in Delaware for the most part, right? Other, other than that, it's people. Mm-hmm. I love helping with the people aspects of running a business. You've written in your blogs that you've been through a number of your own life transitions, including a few that are pretty scary. Take us through a couple of those transitions. Which was the scariest and why? I would say that the transition from investor to coach was pretty damn scary. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Though I would say that another one that, that was frightening was... Uh, getting sober, which I'm, I'm pretty open about. I like to say I was a functional addict. I didn't leave like a, a wake of destruction. My wife wasn't threatening to leave me. I wasn't saddled in debt. From the outside, I was highly functional, highly successful, productive member of society. But deep down inside, I needed substances, mainly Adderall, marijuana and alcohol to a lesser degree just to like keep the edge off every day. So again, Mm -hmm. like I would still go hard uh, at work and I I wouldn't push the edge so much that like I couldn't show up and do my job, but enough where it would almost like give me this, this mental Novocaine of sorts. Mm -hmm. So just like enough to to numb me a little bit. I knew I was eventually going to become a dad. I wanted to be a great partner to my investment partners and entrepreneurs. And I just, you know, frankly, I just had enough. Yeah. And so I, I basically had to admit to my wife and, and other people in my life that I had this problem that I was keeping mm. a secret for many years. Well, congratulations on getting sober because just knowing a few people who have been down that path, that is not an easy thing to do. So congratulations to you on that. It's been six and a half years, just one, one day at a time. Absolutely. You believe that your career transitions have led to incredible amount of personal growth, and you just even talked a little bit about that. 
In one of your blogs about your first year as a solopreneur, you outlined 14 of the most important things that you learned during that time. And I want to touch on a few of them. Number one was bet on yourself. To our listeners, what does that mean to you? For a long time, I worked for other organizations. Going out on my own was really me finally stepping into my power mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go all in on myself because I believe in my abilities and skills and relationships. And really that, that's what I meant by it mm-hmm. is this, uh, this ability to, to, to objectively look at my gifts and really leveraging them Mm-hmm. to build my own business rather than being under someone else. Right. Um, right. And to give myself the, the freedom or the balance to just show up how I want to every day. Number four on that list is ask for help. Oh my gosh, this is so hard for many of us because we see asking for help as a sign of weakness in some way. How did you get past that and advice for others to get past it? For me, it was it was just putting my ego aside and realizing that I don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. and other people have figured it out and they've invested the time and energy and trial and error to, to get to the answers themselves. So why wouldn't I take advantage of that? But for a long time, I felt like I couldn't ask for help. I like to think of things in experiments, right? Like many behaviors or actions that I can take to learn. Yeah. I would look at asking for help as an experiment. Hmm. That's one tip that I have as I started thinking about these as experiments, you know, where I'm like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to learn here and trying to not take it so personal. The other is just showing up with an open mind and not necessarily thinking I know it all. Right, right. Settling into that idea of like, look, I don't, I don't know it all. And if I think I know it all, then that's probably the end of my business. Yeah, you know, and that ties in really quite nicely to number 11 on that list, which I also like. I liked all of them, but I picked out these three. Number 11 is meet people where they are. And that mm-hmm. is such an important concept as a coach. You have to be able to meet people where they are. And then hopefully bring them forward in some way and help move the dial. When you we brought up that, that point, I, I immediately went to one of my existing coaching clients who's a you know, very, very talented individual. So we've been working together almost a year now. And in the first six months, we were really at the surface. This gentleman took a break from coaching, I want to say in May of this year came back and said, you know, I've been thinking about our relationship and what I want to get out of the next sprint. Let's just do a three month sprint. And all I want to focus on is my inner critic Mm. and how my inner critic holds me back from realizing my potential. I tell myself that even though I knew and, and observed that the inner critic was really strong in this individual, He wasn't ready to work with that inner critic and begin to acknowledge and accept it. And it wasn't until he reached out and on his own accord said, look, I'm ready to do the work. So I think that's a good example that it just takes time. And and as opposed to trying to like 
fix or hurry along a process. It's just saying like, look, it's, it's going to take time and we all develop in different increments. In addition to being a coach, you are an angel investor. And one of your investments was in Clubhouse in the early stages. That's the social media app that seems to be all the rage right now. Why Clubhouse? I, I know this is going to be cliche, but it was really about the founder, Paul Davidson. Uh. Paul, he's really an amazing uh, product thinker. Before they launched Clubhouse, he was, he was working on a different audio product called Talk Show. This was pre-COVID. We recorded a mini podcast on Talk Show. And I remember emailing him and was like, hey, if you ever decide to raise capital, I would love to be involved. I'm really passionate about this idea and working in the audio space. And then sure enough, he uh, launches Clubhouse and it goes viral. And then he went out to, you know, I think a hundred plus members of their community when it started to take off and said, look, like we would love you to be a part of it because we want our community to be investors in the company as well. Yeah, That's how I got involved. Right place at the right time. But you know, I, have very, I have very little to do with, with their success. <laughs> Other than investing in it, right? <laughs> All right. Media has changed so much in the past five years. Do you have a quick little nugget of where you think it's headed next? I'm a big believer. And I think, Liz, you're, you're a testament to this. If you look at media 20, 30 years ago, it was about who owned the pipes in the audience were the ones that ultimately aggregated attention, and they were the ones that ultimately dictated who was able to get on air and what messages were being, were being distributed. And now the power is really in the creator, and we are in the very early stages of what people are now calling the creator economy. Hmm. And as social media is now established as a predominant medium, Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Substack, there's all these different mediums. There's an explosion of these creators that are almost like individual media companies. Hmm. And so I think that this really is the most important trend in media where, you know, companies are basically getting uh, disintermediated and the, all the power is going to the individuals with the most authentic and unique voices, stories, etc. Yeah. I love reading your blogs. And one of the things that you have written about, you believe the world is rigged in people's favor. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a cakewalk, but it means that generally you can trust that things will work out the way they're supposed to. How did you develop this philosophy? I genuinely have a belief that our mindsets dictate how we show up and interact with the world and how we show up and interact with the world largely determines our experience. Mm -hmm. And so if we show up every day with the victim mentality, the the world is out to get you and nothing can go right. And that doesn't mean that those problems aren't legitimate, but it's the mindset and the framing. Having worked with, 
dozens and dozens of leaders and founders and individuals have begun to notice that when people shift their mindset mm-hmm. and they begin to operate there, that over time, if you show up and you have faith and belief, you show up with a good mindset that things will generally work out. Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect mm-hmm. exactly how you want them to be. So it's all about how do you ultimately cultivate a positive mindset? Yeah, I think it, it makes all the difference in the world. That plays so beautifully also into one of your blogs that you talked about, the 40 lessons from your 40 years. And even though you're 40 years young, <laughs> you do have quite a bit of wisdom. I'm going to call you an old soul. And you said this, life isn't perfect for everyone, but we all have the freedom to choose how we respond to our circumstances. Don't underestimate the power of faith, hope, and positivity. I am such a firm believer in all of that. What other pearls of wisdom can you share with anyone who may be afraid to step out of that comfort zone and make that difficult choice to make a life transition? I would say small steps. I borrowed this from Jim Collins of Good to Great, shooting bullets versus cannonballs. I think we as a society tend to think that a transformation has to happen in well, one cell swoop where it all has to be one thing at once, right? Like one big thing, one big splash. That's the cannonball approach where in a business context, it's we're going to basically bet the farm on this one decision and just firing that cannonball. Whereas Jim argues for shooting bullets and then firing cannonballs. And these bullets are these small, self-contained experiments or ways to collect data that allow you to act with more conviction when you ultimately decide to fire that cannonball. So let me explain how that was true for my own life as it related to making the transition from investor to coach. I decided to enroll myself in a coaching program This was over four years ago, like a a nine-month coaching certification program. About two or three months into it, I had a former camper reach out to me and say, hey, uh, would you be willing to mentor me? And I said, well, I have a different idea. I'm now training to be a coach. What would you think if I coached you and here's what it means. And this is what the difference between coaching and mentoring is. And he said, great. And I said to him, I'm not looking to make any money off this, but I expect you to pay me. And I want you to come up with an amount that's not so much that you resent me, but also an amount where you feel like you're investing in yourself. And so that was really how I got started coaching. Hmm. And then, you know, fast forward two years As I started sharing on Twitter that I was starting to coach, I had founders reach out to me. Hey, would you be open to coaching? Until I got to the point where I had hundreds of hours of practice, Mm -hmm. you know, more than a dozen clients over the two years and knowing what my rates were starting to be just based on what people were paying out of the goodness of their heart and valuing the service. And I said, you know what? I now have enough data to suggest that I can actually do this as a profession. (laughs) And so it wasn't like, I'm going to be a coach, I'm going to enroll in a program and I'm going to quit my job and oh shit, what do I do now? (laughs) 
it was a process. Yes. And it was a process about learning about myself and whether this was something that I wanted to sink my teeth into long term. Ultimately, I, I finally fired the cannonball. I love it. Well, besides firing the cannonball and spending time doing all of that, I know that you love spending time with your family. You meditate, you read, you ride your bike. You watch the Patriots, of course, coming from Swampscott, Massachusetts. Oh, no, That's don't, important. Don't even get you started. Don't even get you started. Okay. Right now. And I know you also enjoy time in nature. It sounds to me like you really have this next chapter. You've put it together in a way that you are living your best life now. How does that feel? It feels great. The word that I used today with my, my coach this morning was spacious. Hmm. I'm now living the life that I instinctually felt like I wanted to live for a really long time. And it's taken me almost a half a decade to put myself in this position. I feel like I'm operating in a world of abundance. Yes, there's 30 plus thousand coaches out there and many very, very capable and talented ones. But when I walk out in the street of New York, I see seven, eight million people that could really benefit from some form of coaching. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) I'm showing up from a place of abundance because I believe in the product. And I believe that changing and growth is difficult. And to have someone walk alongside you in that process I tell myself that there are millions and millions of people that want that, right? Who doesn't want to have a better life? Who doesn't want to be more fulfilled? Who doesn't want to be energized when they wake up every day and do what they love? Who doesn't want to bring their vision to life, whether it's through building a company or giving back in their community, whatever it is. And so that's what gets me excited is, I went from investing where I told myself it's a zero-sum game to now coaching where it really feels like a game of abundance. Mm, I love that word, abundance. Folks, if you'd like to read more of Steve's wonderful blog posts, go to schlaf.me. That's S-C-H-L-A-F dot M-E. And also check out his website, highoutput.co, H-I-G-H, O-U-T-P-U-T dot C-O. And I have both of those links in our show notes for everyone. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today and reminding us that while transitions can be and often are scary, they are also opportunities to form new habits and break old ones. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Liz. Really appreciate being on it. And thanks to all of you for listening in. And feel free to write a review and share this podcast with anyone who may be thinking about their next chapter. May Steve's story inspire you to know that you can take a chance. And if you do, it might very well lead to living your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space. Thank you.